Amen. Praise God. All right. So we're starting a new series. It's based on the book of Exodus. Tonight's going to be introduction. There's some groundwork that I want to lay. And um, what we're going to see over these next few, how many weeks, how many months we're going to spend on doing this, is that there's so much of a correlation between our personal lives and what takes place in the book of Exodus. You can kind of line everything up, and which is really good, because if you look then at the book of Exodus and see uh, what, what mistakes they made, we can kind of avoid the mistakes in our lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul alludes to this in one of the letters he wrote to the Corinthian church, that they, they set an example for us. We have their example of either how to, how to do right or how to end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Amen? How many of you want to wander around for 40 years? No, no. How many of you want to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible? And do it in God's plan. With God's blessing, with God's protection, with God's provision. Amen? Praise God. So, why should we study this ancient book? And the answer I'm going to give you is a quote from a rabbi uh, that lived back in the 1700s, I believe it was, or 1800s. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, uh, obviously Eastern Europe, but I believe Breslov today, I think, is in Lithuania, modern, modern Lithuania. The exodus from Egypt occurs in every human being, in every era, in every year, and in every day, which is true. Even we use that word exodus. When we say that word, it conjures up thoughts of coming out from under a certain life-controlling influence or just outright slavery to sin and to the world. I came across this phrase a while ago. We suffer, we learn, we change. Now, that's the ideal that we want to reach. How many of you know it doesn't always happen that way? I mean, we suffer, but not everybody learns and not everyone changes. Well, you know what? I can't say that because we do change. Because if we don't learn from suffering, you're going to change. You're going to get worse. If we learn from suffering, we get better. Amen? But change is always going to be happening. Amen? And we want that. Because anything that's live is change. Uh, I fool around here sometimes. You know, we have these artificial plants, you know. And I'll I'll say to one of the the young men that works in the facilities, did you water that plant outside there in the lobby? And the first time I got away with it, he's like, you, you, know, you can only get away with it once. Why, why does that not need water? Because it's not alive. So that plant is going to look the same. Ten years from now, that plant will still look the same. Why? Because it doesn't change because it's not alive. But anything that's alive changes. So we should not be surprised by changes that uh, come into our lives or actually the opportunities to change. We're all going to suffer from something, Okay. Now, listen, here's the one that's hard to swallow a little bit. Sometimes our suffering as a result is self-induced. We we make the wrong decisions. We associate ourselves with the wrong individuals. Uh, We we suffer like, you know, I, I hear this a lot of times. You know, there's a lot of movement going on right now, you know, especially here in New Jersey. You know, most people... They, they don't like living here. Cost of living is too high. They want to go to this place, want to go to that place, South Carolina, North Carolina, whatever. There's only one problem. Wherever you go, you take you with you. Yeah. And unless you really suppose, unless it's totally called of God, um, you know, sometimes people make mistakes. They go someplace. They think things are going to be different, and it's not. You know, and in fact, if I could share this, man, I don't know, I feel like somebody needs to hear this. Sometimes we try to go back to things because they were a good time in our life. I remember, you know, many of you heard of testimony, especially this past weekend celebrating the anniversary. We spent two years living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, okay, specifically Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, which is a suburb of Tulsa. It's heaven. It was heaven. It was heaven for us because that was the time period we were supposed to be there. But you ask anybody that lives in that area, they'll tell you. Everybody understands when you say, oh, you live in the bubble, they know exactly what you're talking about. There's this spiritual atmosphere, this spiritual bubble out there. I mean, you go to a supermarket. First time we went to a supermarket, we went out there to visit. I walked in a supermarket. I'm like, they're playing worship music? I said, where are we? I'm not kidding you. 
Look, how would you like to walk in the supermarket, shop right, and they're playing shout to the Lord? I'm like, where are we? Where do we, you know? So, so it was wonderful, those two years. Trust me, even as I shared, I think, in one of the services over the weekend, when it came time to move out there, I had everything packed a month before we left. When it was time to come home, it's like, okay, well, let's start packing today. And you know, we weren't in that much of a hurry to get back. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Love you all. <laughs> but it was a different thing. Now, watch this now. Because it was such a wonderful time of our lives, a wonderful season of our life, the first time we went back out there, which was about a year and a half, two years later, we went for a pastors and ministers conference, okay? It wasn't the same. Now, watch this now. If I had said to my wife, you know, this was such a great time of our life, maybe we, should, maybe we made a mistake coming back here to New Jersey. Maybe we should pick up, go back out there, raise our family, and then when they all graduate from high school, we'll come back to New Jersey and start a church. Now, it would have never been the same. We would have suffered now because we made a decision based on trying to recapture. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Trying to recapture an experience. And listen, sometimes churches can get stuck like that. They want to recapture. Now, again, if you were here last Sunday, specifically at the 11 o'clock service, I thought the roof was going to blow off this place. The power of God, the spirit of God, the joy of the Lord. I mean, this place was like, man, this is what heaven's going to be like. So now, watch now. The temptation would be, let's do what we did last Sunday. But that was for last Sunday. And it was for 11 o'clock last Sunday. And it was for the group of people that were gathered here last Sunday. So what ends up happening sometimes is we try to recreate things that were only meant for a specific time, and then we put ourselves in position to suffer because you cannot recapture some things, no matter what you do. So what we're talking about, well, Pastor, what is that all about? Sometimes the suffering that we go through is self-induced. We're trying to set things up. I, I call it this thing. We try to play Holy Ghost. Okay, we try to play like 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 this. Like years and years and years ago, when we first started the church. I first started pastoring. Every mother that would come up to me, go, "Do you think you could spend some time with my teenager?" Now I didn't know that was a code code word for my kid is crazy. I don't know what to do with him. I want you to rescue me. <laughs> so like a sucker, I fell for it the first few times, and went, "Oh my God! I don't know how they didn't kill this kid." So then I realized when a mother or a father or somebody would come to me and say, do you know, think you could reach out? My first question is this, do they want me to reach out to them? Because if they don't, you're just pushing them further away. And sometimes a parent would get mad. Because we understand what it's like to be frustrated. You know, anybody, anybody here raise kids? Anybody get frustrated raising kids? Okay, so now what happens is you get like, well, let the pastor handle this. This is why he gets paid. <laughs> No, honey, we don't have a magic wand. It's no, you know, they lived with you for 15, 16 years. Now you want to bring them to my office, I'm going to go, yeah, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and then you're going to, they're going to walk out of here like um, angels. So be careful that you don't get frustrated because of self-induced suffering. Best thing you could do is repent of whatever, whatever action you took out of your own strength and ask God to help you start again. Now, here's another tough one is sometimes we suffer at the hands of others, okay? And, and, and the fact of the matter is we do. You know, you're in a relationship with somebody and they make the wrong decision about something. Well, guess what? You're connected to that individual. To whatever extent you're connected is to the extent that you're gonna, there's going to be joint suffering. Like joint bank accounts, you have joint suffering. Because you, you just can't throw away somebody because they made a wrong decision. It got quiet that time. Because somebody, some, some wife out there is thinking, well, if I had a trash can big enough. You, you know what I'm talking about? Now, we're the only ones that are going to be able to determine whether the suffering that comes to us is going to produce good fruit 
or if it's going to produce the fruit of bitterness. And that truth religion, this has become almost epidemic now. Christians with bitter hearts. And every one of us is tempted. Every one of us is going to have the opportunity to develop a bitter heart, a hard heart, because we're still on a planet that's cursed. We're still living amongst a group of unregenerate people. And even even those of us that are born again, your spirit's born again. Your spirit's perfect. But the rest of us? That would have been a good amen. That would have been a good spot. We can learn how to categorize suffering so that it results in learning, which will result in change. Or you can make believe it's not there. Let it eat away at you and just become bitter-hearted, hard-hearted, and spend a life of misery. Going to go to heaven. You'll still go to heaven. You know, Jesus will be like, I got to let you in. But you know what I'm saying? The whole idea is, do you recognize, you know, the most popular prayer in the Christian faith is what? The Our Father. Well, what's the purpose of the Our Father? On earth as it is in heaven. The whole idea is to get some of heaven and bring it here to earth. And when we let our hearts become bitter and hard-hearted, you can have heaven right in front of you. You won't recognize it because your heart's bitter. And a bitter heart, man, somebody needs to hear this. A bitter heart will always produce a bitter filter. Filter. And that's where relationships go wrong. We, we develop filters. We assume things. We speculate about individuals. And it seems like the older we get, the more we have tempted to develop bitter filters. And even when people want to try to be nice to us, we don't recognize it. Hallelujah, Pastor. You're preaching tonight. (laughs) Now, the Israelites, again, we're, we're talking about the book of Exodus. The Israelites suffered much that gave them the ability to either change or to become more enslaved. One or the other is always going to happen in life. Let, let me give you an example, okay? A child born in an alcoholic household. When that person becomes an adult, either that person as an adult forgives and avoids the enslavement in their own generation or refuses to forgive and allows the slavery to continue in their own life. That's not just alcoholism. That's what any kind of sin. So in effect then, watch this now. Watch this now. Look at me, please. You're going to suffer anyway. You're either going to suffer being raised in an alcoholic household or you're going to suffer because you feel like that person should be punished and you're going to have to forgive them. And there is suffering in that. Don't, don't, don't lie. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to God. There is, it's, sometimes we suffer in trying to forgive people because we want to see them nuked. Because, listen, there's some of us in this room, I, I, I wouldn't even want to sit down. There's some of us in this room that have, have had horrible things done to us that we did not deserve at all. And sometimes it's hard for a person to forgive. So, so watch this. You're going to suffer and become an alcoholic yourself, or you're going to suffer and have to forgive. But watch this now. The suffering that you endure having to forgive produces something that the unforgiveness could never produce. So you're going to suffer anyway. You might as well suffer and produce some fruit. Yes or no? Even if you put it in your head. Even if you put it in your head. Okay, I'm going to suffer. I may have to suffer like this the rest of my life. But you know what? If this junk stops in this generation, then the suffering was worth it. Yes or no? You're going to suffer anyway. All right? So, I don't like to go through. If I'm going to go through a situation, I want the gold. I want something. I want to walk away with a certificate. I want to walk away with some experience that's going to make me in the future recognize that from afar off and go, oh, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm not walking that way. I'm not getting involved in that. I'm not associating with that. I'm not Because I remember the last time I did that, it brought hell into my life. 
Does this make sense to anybody? Okay. So I think this would be a good time for us to start really being intentional. Could you say that word, please? Intentional. What does it mean? Intentional means I have an intent. There is a specific purpose. There is a specific plan that I want to follow in detail so that I produce a desired result. When we're intentional about something, okay, we're very intentional about how our church, that's the best example I can use. We're very intentional about how our church services should operate. We're very intentional to make sure that anyone that comes to this church, especially for the first time, that we do not place obstacles in their path between them and Jesus. Because if you could remove all the obstacles in a person's life and, and they can see Jesus in his purest form, who would not get saved? Sometimes we, in, in, in trying to do good, put obstacles in people's lives. We don't want to do that. We, so, so what do we do? We're intentional. We're intentional about the way that the lobby looks. We're intentional about the bathrooms being clean. We're intentional about how your children are treated, what they're taught, what environment they walk into. We're intentional about that. Why? Because when you're intentional, it reduces the possibility of mistakes. It reduces the possibility of having a negative experience. I remember this. Some of you might remember this story, but I've told it a bunch of times because I couldn't think of a better illustration. Years and years and years ago, when we first purchased the building next door, before it was the thrift store, when we first purchased that building next door, it was supposed to be the family center for this, this church. Um, it was going to be the children's department, all kinds of other stuff was going to go in there. Things happen, things change. But to celebrate that and to get support for developing that building, we hosted a, a group of uh, a bunch of different events. Um, Sean, were you on staff back then when we had the Hawaiian luau and we did all the other stuff? Well, it was before you? Was that long ago? Oh. So, so we had... We were going to have this on a Sunday. We were going to have service there because we could fit a whole lot more people next door. There were no walls up. It was just an empty building. And we were going to have like picnic-style foods and stuff like that. And so I remember addressing our volunteers that morning and saying to them, listen, the whole idea to have this event, it was a family Sunday. Everyone was encouraged to bring their family to bring their neighbors, to bring their coworkers, whatever it is. Bring, we'll give them hamburgers, hot dogs, French fries, or root beer shakes, I think, uh, what do you call it? Root beer floats, a whole bit. Had different stations set up. So the volunteers, okay, I, I gathered them together. I said, listen, the Lord spoke this to me, and he did, during the night before Sunday morning, like from Saturday night till Sunday morning, and, and said this specifically, okay? Because, you know, God knows how to handle food, right? Remember Jesus with the fish and the bread? And this is what I heard. This is what I heard inside. Tell the staff not to put any further obstacles in front of people. If a person wants two hamburgers, give them two hamburgers. If they want two hot dogs, give them two hot dogs. And I said that to the crew. Gather everybody together. I said, listen, don't worry about, because, you know, sometimes volunteers, of course, nobody in here would do this. Sometimes volunteers, because they got a little badge with their name on it, they get like the people in the unemployment office. They think it's their money they're handing out. Turn to somebody and say, I know exactly what he's talking about. So I said, don't worry about how much stuff we're going to give out. That's why it's here, to give it away. If somebody says, I want two hamburgers, don't give them a dirty look and tell them to come back after everybody else has gone through the line. Give them two hamburgers. Give them two hot dogs. Give them whatever you want. Yeah, here. We're not here to make things difficult. We're here to try to make things easy. Why? Because when you remove a natural obstacle, it opens up the opportunity for a supernatural experience. Are you getting this? We get so stuck because some of us are so controlling. You listening? Yes. Remove obstacles. Remove the obstacles in your life. How do you do that? By operating in the principles of the word of God. 
Do you realize how many obstacles God has had to take out of our way? You try to start talking to people who are getting saved and giving their life to Jesus. What do they give you? Excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse. What is that? What is that each excuse? An obstacle. An obstacle. Okay. So, this series, and I did teach this in the past. I taught this about 10 years ago. But I'm bringing it up to date for where the Holy Ghost needs us to be now. But watch this now. I didn't realize this until I started revamping this whole thing to present it in 2022. This series is connected to the last big series we did on Wednesday nights. Does anybody remember the name of the last big series we did on Wednesday nights? Well, the subject was freedom. How, how what? How not to lose your mind. Okay? Why? Because if you're in slavery, eventually what's going to happen? You're going to lose your mind. So we need an exodus. We need an exodus. Every one of us needs an exodus out of whatever is holding us back right now from having an awesome relationship with God Almighty. You get, you, you, you getting this? So if I were you, I would block out probably the next six to eight Wednesday nights. Okay, because this is, this is good stuff. This is gold. This is stuff that we need. This is stuff that's going to help us maintain the stability that some of us gained out of that, that last series. See, what good is you gain something if you don't hold on to it? Jesus said he wants us to produce fruit, fruit that remains, not fruit that you that, No, it's the fruit that remains that brings transformation in our lives. Yes or no? Yes. All right. So... Three key words that I want us to focus on in this series. Reality, presence, and victory. I'm going to say it again. Reality, presence, I don't mean Christmas presents, presence, and victory. Say it again with me. Reality, reality presence, presence, and victory. victory. Now, let's talk about reality first, because there's a twofold emphasis on that. Number one, Reality check. As we go through the series, just like when we went through the How Not to Lose Your Mind series, there were many of us, I'll put myself in there, that, had, that experienced a reality check. Okay? And listen, it's the mercy of God when he puts us in a situation where we go like, man, I didn't even realize I was still doing that. I didn't even realize I was still thinking that. I didn't realize I was still saying that. You understand what I'm saying? Reality check. Thank God. For, say this with me. Thank God, thank God for the Holy, Ghost. the Holy Ghost. Thank God that he shines that light and takes inventory for us. So some of this series is going to be about reality checks. It's, many of us are going to come face to face with the realities of our own lives and the choices that we ourselves have made. Let me tell you something. In some of our lives, the devil doesn't have to lift a finger. We do enough damage ourselves. I'm talking about Christians. I'm not talking about people in the world. I'm talking about Christians. We make some, some stupid mistakes. We, we operate on assumptions, especially when it comes to Scripture. Operate on tradition when tradition is totally contrary to the Word of God. We get ourselves in trouble. Amen? Amen. So uh, here's, here's one that we're probably going to spend a little bit of time on. Because you can't teach this kind of stuff without spending some time on this. Um, maybe I should turn around and look that way. Because it's inevitable that somebody's going to say, oh, you were looking at me when you said that. <laughs> All right, listen up. It's time to get real and take responsibility for our own relationship with God. I'm going to say it again. It is time to get real. Is it up there? Yes. Oh, good. It is time to get real and take responsibility for our own relationship with God. Listen to me. You may be a Christian who comes to church on Wednesday, comes to church on Saturday night, comes to church on Sunday. But if you're not studying the word of God for yourself, 
If you're not spending time with God yourself, you're going to develop into one of those Christians that we call compartmentalized Christians, which is going to tie into the second part of this word reality. What is a compartmentalized Christian? On Wednesday night, I'm a Christian. I go to church. On Saturday night, I'm a Christian. I go to church. On Sunday morning, up till 1 o'clock, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I praise God. I follow the pastor when he reads the scriptures. But Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, you're living on your own. I know life is busy. But you've got to take responsibility for yourself to develop your own relationship with God. We're spoiled in this country. We are spoiled. Spoiled. There are so many churches now. And 30 years ago, when I first got born again, there was nowhere near the amount of churches in existence. I'm talking about churches. I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about churches. Groups of individuals who believed God studied the word, prayed together, experienced God together, went out, took the gospel to other people. And so you did not have a lot of those at all. Now, it's like the bars in the cities up north. There's one on every corner. There's churches all over the place. I was just having a conversation with a group of individuals. Anybody could start a church today. I didn't say they should, but anybody could start a church. Anybody. Anybody's got 100 grand and a Facebook account or a camera on their phone can, can portray an image, build an image, and start a church. I didn't say it would last. I didn't say they should. But today, with the technology that's available and the cash that's available, anybody could start a church. And they'll get away with it for about three or four years. And then you start seeing the damage. Because I have said this, and I'll keep, if you're not called to do this, go do what you're supposed to do. Because this will eat you up and spit you out. Now, I'm not saying no oh, poor pet. No, I'm not saying the crap. I got the grace of God on me. Because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Okay? And it took me years to find this, but I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But if a person is not, but listen, you can get away with this stuff for a limited amount of time. And plus the fact that most Christians, all they want to do is be petted and just, oh, make me feel good, make me feel good. Not challenged. But you don't grow unless you're challenged. You don't grow unless you're challenged. Turn to somebody and say, you'll be doing them a great favor. Turn to somebody and say, you don't grow unless you're challenged. So now watch this now. Watch this now. I'm going to look up so nobody thinks, oh, you're looking at me, Pastor, when you said that. Stop playing the victim even when it comes to your relationship with God. You've got the same God, the same Bible, same Holy Spirit as every other Christian, and you have the same access to God Almighty through the same Lord Jesus Christ. There is no reason why every single Christian cannot become a Bible student, student of the word in accuracy, have a, a, a phenomenal prayer life, a relationship with the Holy Spirit where he talks and you hear him and you just go and do whatever he tells you. He's not limiting anyone. We limit ourselves. See, I want to just use this. We're talking about taking responsibility for our our own relationship with God. Taking responsibility, okay? Some people think that the ministry, all we do here for eight hours a day, is sit around and discuss the Bible. Some people think, oh, you, you know, you guys are on, oh, you're full-time in ministry? Oh, so you sit around all day. Yeah, we, it was like, you know, it's like this all day long, reading the book. No, <laughs> we don't do that. Okay? That, that's not, most, of the, most of the work of the ministry is administrative. On the financial side, it involves a lot of business planning. It may involve construction. How many, how many like the way the outside looks? Yeah, eight, look, look, look. Angels didn't come and do that. 
Angels didn't come and do that. Somebody had to literally get on a scaffold and put that stuff. And listen, somebody had to pay for somebody to get on a scaffold to put that up there. It's all ministry. Why do we need that outside there? Because the other outside was ugly. (laughs) And an obstacle. So, there's cleaning involved. How many like to, when you go in the bathroom, the bathroom's clean? How many like a filthy bathroom? Let me see your hands. That's ministry. There's sometimes what involves counseling, taking on other people's sorrow, taking on other people's burdens, because that's what we're called to. So watch this now. So we, who are in this full time, still have to develop our own devotional relationship with God Almighty. Otherwise, what are we going to give you when you show up? You see what I'm saying? And we could do what? Because we have the same God, the same Bible, the same Holy Spirit, the same access to the promises of God through the Lord, same Lord Jesus Christ as you have. Why am I saying this? Because no matter what you're doing in life, you still individually have to have your own relationship with the Lord. One of the things, one of the things that they made so, uh, they emphasized so much when we were in Bible school. When you're in Bible school, you have a regiment that you're supposed to follow. You get up, you do your praying, you read your Bible, you get to class. For three hours, you're sitting in, for three hours, you're sitting in classes with, you know, sitting under individuals that, like, blow your socks off. After, after those classes, you have lunch, then you have the opportunity you can go back if you want and go to what was called prayer school or healing school, and you could sit under those classes. So there's a regiment there. You have books you're supposed to read. You have outlines you have to follow. There's tests you have to take. But at the end of those two years, when you graduate, the teacher's not there anymore to tell you, hey, did you read your book? Hey, did you pray this morning? Hey, did you follow the outline? Hey, did you take the test? Now you're on your own. You listening to me? Okay, but it's not somebody else's responsibility to build your relationship with your God. You listening? And the stronger you pursue that, and the, the stronger you build that relationship, is going to determine how much of an impact you're going to make on your generation. I'm assuming you want to make an impact on your generation. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Second part of that word reality has to do with experience the realness. Is that a word? Realness is a word, right? I didn't want to say reality. Experiencing the realness of God. And I I think that it's true that many believers have lost the realness of God because they have not seen his activity in their everyday lives. And so they have allowed their expectancy to dwindle and be neutralized. And unfortunately, where there's no expectancy, there can be no faith. Without faith, we do not please God. You getting this? You've got to be able to believe God on an everyday basis to to experience the realness of who he is. Okay? And sometimes, listen to me. Again, this is all introduction. We We didn't even get to the book of Exodus yet. And probably won't tonight. But listen to me. You have got to press in to experience the realness of God. You have to have faith to know that he wants to reveal himself to you in that way. The worst thing you can do, and my mother, God rest her soul, had a terrible habit of doing this. I, you, know, I, you know, you read the Bible, Joe, and you know, you get, I read the Bible and none of it, none of it stays here. And I go, Ma, stop saying that. Why? Because you're establishing your own reality with the words that you speak. If you keep saying, I don't hear from God, guess what? You don't hear from God. Because even if he's speaking, you don't recognize it because you got yourself so convinced that you, oh, somebody else hears. Pastor Joya hears. 
but I, I, don't, I, I don't hear from God. Stop saying that because the scripture says, you're going totally contrary to the scripture because the scripture says, Jesus said, I believe it's in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. He didn't say sometimes. He stated it as fact. I can't tell you how many times I have confessed that over my life, even in the driest of times. Why? Because our lives are not based on our experience. Our lives are based on what the Word says. I hear his voice. Why? I'm one of his sheep. And I'll take it one step further because Jesus took one step further. He said, and the voice of a stranger, they, his sheep, will not follow. You getting this? Now, most people want to make that, they'll declare that when they've experienced it. But the fact is, you won't experience it unless you begin to declare it. There's some things you've got to take hold of out of the realm of the spirit and bring them into the realm of the natural. And we do that with words. How did you get born again? Did you accomplish some great feat? Did you buy your way in? No. What did you do? You confessed with your mouth what you believed in your heart. And the result was your spirit got born again because you said something. You spoke, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I know that you're the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that God raised you from the dead and that you're alive right now. Lord Jesus, I place my trust in you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for making me a child of God. You see what I'm saying? You experienced the greatest miracle any human could experience in their entire lives. You went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light with what? Words. Now watch this now. They weren't empty words. They were words that were rooted where? In your heart. For the Bible says in the same chapter, for with the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Everything else in the kingdom of God operates the same way. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus taught this principle. You will have whatever you say. A person doesn't go to hell because of what they did. A person goes to hell because they refuse to say what the scriptures say about Christ. Well, what are you saying, Pastor? That the most degenerate person in the world can go to heaven? Yeah. If they repent, if they turn, if they, if they receive Christ and his grace comes to work inside them, yeah. Think about this. What was the difference between what Peter did and what Judas did? Well, well, Judas betrayed Christ, betrayed Jesus. And what did Peter do? He denied he even knew him. They both betrayed Jesus. Judas never repented and changed, didn't commit himself unto Christ. Peter did. Peter's in heaven. Where's Judas? It was a matter of words. Now, don't you know that if Judas instead of hanging himself, would have went to Jesus after he rose from the dead and said to him, I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry. I don't know. I was fearful. I was disillusioned, whatever. I'm so sorry. Don't you think Jesus would have forgave him? Yes. Of course. Now, do you think it's a coincidence that when Jesus rose from the dead and went and visited them when they went back fishing, because that's what man does when they don't have a good experience with God, they go into default and they go back to their old life again. And when they came off that ship, what did Jesus do? Peter, come here. Let's go for a walk. What did he do? He gave him three opportunities to rededicate himself to, to Jesus. Don't you think he would have did the same thing for Judas? Of course. Of course. It's a matter of words. So, you want to experience the realness of God? You start confessing the realness of God. Get up in the morning, say, Father, I thank you that I'm your child. I thank you that because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I have hope of my eternal destination. I'm your sheep. I hear your voice, the voice of the stranger I'm not going to follow. Father, use me today. Use me today. 
Don't say, Father, do something in my life today. He's not the dancing bear. Use, you want to experience the realness of him? Ask him to use you in somebody else's life. Amen. Don't go, oh, because I had a young man, one of the first young men, the first people I ever witnessed to when I got saved, comes back a week later and goes, man, this stuff is scary. I said, what's the matter? He goes, I was looking up in the sky, and I, I said to God, God, if you're real, let a, a shooting star go across the sky. And he goes, again, Joe, guess what? It did. So I thought, well, maybe it's a coincidence. So he said, I did it again. And guess what? Another shooting star. I said, and so what's it going to convince? God just nuked two stars to show you who he is. Shouldn't that be enough now? We want, do something for me. What did the devil say to Jesus? Turn these stones into bread. You want, to, you want to experience the realness of God? Put yourself in a vulnerable position to be used to have an effect on somebody else's life. And when it happens and he uses you, you go, oh my God, this is real. And now two people got blessed. You got blessed and the person that God used to affect their life, the person that was affected by you being used by God gets blessed. And you know, wow, he heard me. He heard me. It's real. This life is real. His pre- and that's why we go to that other word about presence. We can't maintain our freedom if we're not nurturing his presence because emotions wear off. Let's be honest with each other. The good majority of individuals get saved because they don't want to go to hell. It's fear-based. Once that fear lifts, we go back and do the same stupid things that we were doing before. So it can't be about fear. It's got to be about presence, the awe, the reverence, the experience and the reality of him being in our lives. Are you listening? Reality, presence. Let's talk about that. I don't know about you, but I'm determined to move further into the awareness and the experience of God's tangible presence in our services, but even more so in my own personal life, in our own personal lives. This can't just be when we get together here. It's got to be an everyday thing. And he's willing. You, you, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside you. Do you not understand that? Has, not that become a, has that not become a reality yet? Paul put it this way, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and quickens your mortal body. In other words, he has an effect on us. The Holy Spirit of God, the one who was hovering over the waters of the deep in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, waiting for God to speak, the same spirit is living inside you now knows all the wisdom of eternity and all the wisdom of the universe lives in you. And the only person who's limiting him is you, not the devil. The devil's no match for the spirit of God. If you will be determined and be intentional now to learn how to operate with him, how to interact with him, okay? This is good stuff. And it's not because I'm saying it. It's because it's good stuff that, that the Holy Ghost is kind of stirring up tonight. Yes. One, of the greatest, one of the greatest examples of that is in the book of Romans in chapter 8. I, I believe it's verse 26. What are we talking about? We're talking about the presence of God in our lives. We're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit being inside of because we can't maintain freedom. You might experience glimpses of freedom, but you cannot maintain freedom without nurturing that relationship with the Holy Ghost. Jay, can you give me that? Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Is that? No, that's 37. 26. That's all right. I know I'm throwing this stuff at you like, okay. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's not physical weakness. That's, that really should be translated ignorance. Okay? For example, 
We don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us, and it really should say through us, with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Now, I don't want to concentrate on the whole thing. I just want to concentrate on one word, very small word. Can anybody guess which word it is? Helps. Helps. And the Holy Spirit does what? Helps. Now, that word is one, two, three, four, five letters in English, but in a Greek language, it's like a whole block. <laughs> Soon, anti, lam, beno. And we reduce it to five letters, but those five letters are so powerful when you understand what it means. Soon, anti, lam, beno can be translated this way about the Holy Ghost. He will take hold together with us against and we, and we allow the devil to beat us, beat us up. We allow circumstances to beat us up. We allow wounds from the past beat us up. We allow mistakes of the past to beat us up. When all the while, we have living inside us the one who is literally willing to take hold together with us. Brian, you, you know the exercise. You want to come up and let's show them. So at the Holy Ghost living in me, Okay. A challenge comes, an obstacle comes, an adversity comes. We think, because the devil convinced us, you're on your own. Well, you know, when was the last time you felt goosebumps? When was the last time you, you like, cried in the service? When was the last time that you had some type of an outside emotional response? You know, it's been a long time since you sensed the presence of God. Why? Because he does not want you to live in the reality that you don't need goosebumps, you don't need tears, you don't need to fall down on the floor. You've got the Holy Spirit living in you who is very much willing to take hold together against. Now, let me tell you something from experience, even in natural. He can move a lot more stuff than I can. Okay? He can move a lot. It's just a fact. He can move a lot more stuff than I can. Me, on my own, I might be able to budge some things, but together with him, man, we take hold together against. That's exactly the picture of what that word helps means. Thank you. That's exactly the picture of what that word helps means. You've got him in you. I've got him in me. That's why Paul says, what can man do to us? If God is for us, who can be against us? I, I would put it this way. What difference does it make against us? I got the force of the universe inside me. But watch this now. He's powerful, but he's a gentleman. And he won't say to you, hey, come on, let's get after this thing. He waits for you to say, Holy Spirit, I'm ignorant here. I don't know how to pray about this situation. I don't know the extent of what I'm facing. I don't know what it's going to take to move this thing. Will you please now soon Auntie Lombano with me? Or we could just put it in English. Will you please now help me in my weakness? I'm ignorant of the situation. I don't know what's really going on. Have you ever had, were you just minding your own business, all of a sudden God put somebody face, somebody's face in your mind? What, what's happening there? Especially for somebody you don't usually see that often. What's happening there? I will guarantee you 99% of the time, you're supposed to be praying for that individual. How are you going to pray for that individual? You haven't seen them in years. You don't know what's going on in their life. You have no clue what's going on. What are you going to do? Holy Ghost, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for so-and-so. I don't really know what to pray for them. But you know what? You do. Let's take hold together. Watch this now. With groanings which cannot be expressed in words. And most of the time, that's going to manifest itself in praying in the Spirit praying in unknown tongues, which you receive from the Holy Spirit in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You want freedom? You want to maintain your freedom? You want to maintain that relationship with God? You cannot do that. I'm just telling you straight out, and, and just, just listen to me, okay? If you want to talk after we're talking after. You cannot do that without having received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You need the mechanism within you. Now, but I got the Holy Ghost in me. I'm born again. Yes, you have the Holy Ghost in you. But Jesus told the disciples 
after they got born again. You need this other experience. In fact, he said to them, do me a favor, don't even leave this room until you receive the promise of my father. You're not ready to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. You need not just the Holy Ghost in you. The Holy, listen, the Holy Spirit in you prepares you for heaven. The Holy Spirit on you prepares you for earth. Amen. You've heard me say this before. Some people say, well, do I need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? Honey, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit very active in our lives. And, and the, if you're just born again, great, you're going to heaven. Thank God you're going to heaven. That's a whole lot better not going to heaven. But there's another empowerment and equipment to keep us free while we're still here on the earth. And that is tapping into the supernatural power of God that's available to us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know. Where is that in the Bible? Acts chapter 2. Jesus refers to it in Acts chapter 1. Jesus referred to it in John chapter 8 and told them in the future that they would receive that, his spirit. He said, he described it this way. It'll be like a river of water flowing out of you. Amen. Living water, living water, living water. You need that. We're li- Listen, I don't know if maybe this is going to shock you because it's the first time I'm going to hear. We're living in a crazy world. <laughs> Does anybody realize that? Yes. We're living in a crazy world. If if Jesus told them 2,000 years ago that they needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, how much more now that we're so close to his second coming, we're so close to his appearing to receive the church, any second, any moment that can happen, how much more now? How much more now? Hallelujah. i got to stop. I know. The time goes by fast when you're having fun. (laughs) Did you learn anything tonight? Listen to me honestly. Listen to me honestly. Do you see where this kind of stuff, where we're heading, is very, very necessary and needed? Listen to me, please. Would you please invite somebody next Wednesday night? Because your family members need this. Your your spouse, your friends, whatever you want to call them. Uh, if, If you love somebody... And you know that they're st- struggling in life a little bit. They need this. And, and we haven't even touched the surface of where we're going with this. Okay? Reality, presence. Next week, we're going to talk about victory. And can I just give you a little hint here? Victory is not something you attain or obtain or struggle for. Victory is a position that you walk in. You already got it. The devil wants to convince you that you don't. That's why you're constantly dealing with discouraging thoughts. We are victorious, not because I fought a battle, but because he fought a battle. You listening to me? You coming back next Wednesday? You promise? You're going to bring somebody? Now you see how you got weak on that one? You're going to bring somebody? All right, we'll put extra chairs out if we need to. You get it. Why? This is going to change people's lives. Amen? Amen? God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, come on up.